0: This is Space 101.1 KMGP. Magnuson Park.
1: That sound can mean only one thing. That's right, time for another voyage, exploring the past, present and future of the old Oregon country. Come aboard and get set to ply the waters of the pacific northwest metaphorical and otherwise on another thrilling episode of cascade of history and now stumbling out of the cluttered purser's office of the ss columbia here's your
0: host felix bonnell all right it is just after 8 p.m pacific time on the west coast Time for another edition of Cascade of History. It's Sunday, March 5th. It's pouring down rain outside. I think it's about in the low 40s as I was driving here. The temperature in the studio tonight is 54 degrees. Um, There's uh, some kind of issue with the furnace, apparently. Um, There is a space heater. We could nickname the radio station Space Heater 101 FM if we were trying to be really irritatingly... uh, annoyingly clever if we thought that was a funny name, but I don't think we're gonna do that. I feel a little bit like Bob Cratchit. My fingers are a little cold and um, it's kind of hard to stay warm here in this cold little studio, but I'm sure they'll address that problem before too long. Plus spring's right around the corner. So we've got a full hour of live conversation about Pacific Northwest history. I'm Felix Bennell. that's the whole point of the show. You can get it as a podcast, of course, pretty much any place podcasts are available, but we're grateful to Space 101.1 FM, a community radio station based here in Magnuson Park, actually in the old uh, mag- uh, Master Arms quarters from the uh, Sandpoint Naval Air Station, which dates back uh, to the 1930s. This has been an airfield for about a century. It's so much history around here. It's the perfect place to gather on a Sunday evening. Always so grateful to our guests who give up their time on a Sunday night so you can sit at home or wherever you are uh, and tune into our little conversation about Pacific Northwest history. Coming up later on, we're going to talk to Laura Cray from the Oregon Historical Society. They've recently up- a bunch of the maps they have available on their online database. We're going to talk to Laura about that. And then we'll hear from Anthony Steele um, from the Allen AME Church in Tacoma about a project they've been doing about the history of Centralia. And then we added a guest um, who we're going to hear from around the bottom of the hour, probably around 8.30 or so uh, a woman who's with a group who is calling for saving the trees of the Pike Place Market entrance area in downtown Seattle. Those trees are apparently about to come under attack as early as tomorrow morning. Members of that group were down there today, tying yellow ribbons around the trees, and we'll hear about uh, what the whole point is of what those what the history of those trees is and why this group thinks they're worth saving. But our first guest, I'm going to bring him on. It's Rob Ketcherside. Let's see if I can just get him on the air right now. Uh, let's see here the phone. It's always the fun. The Rob, are you there? Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Oh, that's perfect. I always love when that... <laughs> it worked. Every, every single time I think, like, I'm going to say, you know, name of person, can you hear me? And it's just going to be dead silence.
2: Or like a dial <laughs> tone, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be
0: even better, a busy signal. <laughs> um, now, we just talked briefly uh, before the show a few moments ago, and I've been following the work you do. I, I think I see you on Facebook, um, maybe on Twitter. I can't remember.
2: Yeah, uh, I stopped using Twitter. Oh, yeah, you did? Okay, happened. good for you. Yeah. I, I,
0: I can't quit it yet. I haven't been able to. I just, I just, you know, I, I it's, I don't know. It's, it's a whole nother conversation. Um, I think Facebook's a much better venue for local history. I, we've, we've talked about that a lot here on this show, how <clears throat> that perfect, it sort of levels, levels the playing field where individual historians or someone f- affiliated with an institution or whatever can share back and forth and have dialogues and share pictures and maps and you get this really cool dialogue that's impossible and, in, in, often impossible in real life. So, um, Now, the work that I remember first seeing stuff that you had posted maybe a couple years ago about um, like a database about the origins of some of the street names in Seattle.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tell me about that. I love that kind of stuff.
2: So, um, you know, I I do history research. I'm a local historian. I just I write for pleasure and whatever happens to grab my attention. And um, I had I had been trying to understand changes in street names and it was just infuriatingly difficult to figure out. And what I finally did was I I found a couple of old ordinances that had a lot of the street name changes in them. And I created a a table of them so I could easily search back and forth to figure out what they were and decided to share that. Like that was actually more interesting than the research I was doing and shared that out. And, you know, every time I go to the Seattle public library, the, the history desk on the ninth floor, uh, they always, you know, thank me and tell me how many people they refer to those street name changes. Um, so yeah, I, that's one of the things I'm really happy to have contributed. That's um, And that's great. yeah, that kind of that, that um, open sourcing of the data behind history, I think, is a really interesting idea that um, I'd like to encourage other people to pursue.
0: Yeah, and that's the more like the more photographs and things that are available online. Like I think the Seattle Municipal Archives has done a pretty good job of posting a lot of great stuff that Absolutely. including really esoteric like here's 12 different views of the same ditch in 1938 along, you know, some <laughs> some esoteric street somewhere in, you know, West Seattle or something. Right, um, and you
2: think it's not really useful? Like why would you share that, right? But then here I come along. I'm really interested in the history of street clocks. That's one of the things that I get I'm into. And I know I've I've catalogued every photo that has a street clock in it, right? So they're just like they're like photographing some people digging up some old rail lines, you know, or whatever, right? But in the background I can see a clock. I'm like, Oh, it's still there. Yes. Yeah, I, I can prove it was still there that year, you know. So you never know what people are going to pull out
0: of a photo. Yeah, don't you envy the people a few thousand years from now, by the time they finally get all those photos digitized and all the documents at the National <laughs> Archives here in Seattle, where you oh, know, like maybe in the year 3000 someone can do a keyword search and find every single document or photo related to some esoteric part of Seattle history. That, that'll, I, 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 I envy those people a thousand years from now.
2: Right. They'll, they'll be much luckier than
0: us. Now, are you a local guy originally, and how did you get into in, interested in history like that? Oh, yeah.
2: So those, those uh, two questions go hand in hand. Uh, So I grew up in Burien, and the thing that really pulled me into history the first time, doing history research, and made me realize how much I loved it, was when I heard for the first time that there was a streetcar that used to go to Burien. I was like, I I don't remember ever hearing about that. And um, I was involved in, um, I was on the Seattle Pedestrian Advisory Board at the time, and kind of really into transportation planning and giving feedback and everything. So I, I got really excited about it and ended up trying to chase down the history, but it was very little written. And that led me to the uh, the Seattle Municipal Archives, which you mentioned. And they had, like, the original, um, like, board minutes from the streetcar line still. And, that, like, I was, like, reading it, knowing no one else had looked at that in years. was, like, really, really exciting to me.
0: Yeah. I I, I like when they – I remember about uh, – I live in Wallingford, and about uh, – must have been 10 or 15 years ago. They were doing some kind of street work at the corner of um, Wallingford Avenue and 45th. Yeah. And you could see they'd removed a layer of street and you could see where the street track, streetcar tracks used to turn the corner between from uh, Wallingford Avenue to 45th. And it must have been before smartphones because I didn't stop to take a picture. <laughs> I really wish I had because whenever yeah. I see that now, I just want to capture that kind of stuff because it's, um, I mean, dumb question, but why, why do you find that kind of almost sort of granular history like that? Why do you find that so interesting?
2: Yeah, I, I love like family histories and personal stories, like people who experience the history, like sharing it. I love to hear that. But the thing that compels me to write is when I've hit a topic that I know people have forgotten or has been misremembered. And, and then, you know, kind of poke at it. And sometimes you, I mean, most of the time you hit a a dead end and it's like, maybe, maybe 10 years from now, I'll find the information I'm looking for. Right. Uh, when more has been digitized, but, um, but sometimes it just keeps on coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. Like like you keep on pulling that thread, or the the image I've got in my head, you know you got the the name Cascades of His, Cascade of History, um, you know that episode of Star Trek uh, Trouble with Tribbles, yes, and there's a scene where Captain <laughs> Kirk like opens the overhead bin where he would have been <laughs> crushed by the grain if it had been grain in there, uh-huh. but the Tribbles just keep falling out, right? <laughs> like like to me that's history. Like history is like uh, it's like it's like a, a this amazing beautiful little creature but there's too many of them you know you start getting overwhelmed and you know so i i love that kind of flow of history coming down i mean sometimes i have to step away when it's just too much um and other times uh it just you know yeah i, I don't know i, I love that uh, that feeling
0: i know what you mean yeah there, there are times like especially looking at newspaper databases or something where you know there's you get you get 300 results from some kind of keyword search or a thousand results yeah. and you try to figure out some way to narrow it down and you can't really do it and you look at the first, like, I don't know, 35 or 40 hits, and it's then it's in your head it feels like it's going to explode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what we want people listening to this show, to to have that feeling that their head's <sighs> going to explode for the whole hour. So <laughs> exactly, that, that's yeah. why you're on the show tonight.
2: Perfect. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I, I took a, a local history research course with uh, Lorraine McConaughey at, oh, yeah. um, at MOHAI. Yeah. And I remember it was the first time I'd sat down and looked at micro uh, the microfilm of newspapers. <laughs> I remember asking her how do you ignore the rest of the page and only focus on the thing you're interested in yeah. you know? because everything on the page is so interesting, right? Like just a couple of days ago, I was looking up something and I saw this ad for magnetic steam bath on <laughs> Westlake. Right. And I'm like, wow, I, I don't have time for this. Magnetic, electromagnetic steam bath. I don't have time for that, you know? Yeah.
0: Do, do, you, do you have a folder like I do where you put stuff that's sort of interesting and kind of t- t- title it with some kind of keyword so you can find it later?
2: <laughs> I, I try to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't always succeed. Like I'm kind of, oh, where did I see that? But,
0: yeah, when I'm, when I'm doing well, I do that, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have, if I do a screen grab of something and I don't annotate the file right away, it's lost forever because it just has the date and the time. So <laughs> Now, we, of course, I could go on all night talking this kind of yeah. minutia, and I'm sure people would, would be tuning in by the thousands. Um, right. So but what the main reason I'd reach out to you was because you're one of those history topics that comes up a lot. I mean I worked I worked with Lorraine when I was at Mohai back in the right. 90s and the 2000s and I loved her local history class that she taught or nearby history that's what it was called. Right. Um and then that the old Mohai being located near the Montlay Cut and Foster Island was a perfect location because there was so much such an intersection of history there and so much debate and misinformation and people really sure of themselves making, you know, attestations about what actually happened and what year this happened and that happened. Mm. So it seems like one of the topics that's ripe for the kind of work you do, where you've gone back and tried to really nail down a timeline and a, and a diagram of how it all really kind of played out in the 19th century. Is that a fair description?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yep. 19th and, and early 20th. Even that was unclear. Yeah.
0: And what did you find?
2: So, so here's, here's what I was trying to solve is i discovered that the first scout hike ever taken in by seattle scouts boy scouts at the time right they're called scouts bsa now but seattle scouts was september 1910 and it went from ballard playfield to the arboretum <laughs> and so okay so how do you get across the water that's the question i'm trying to answer right and at first i just said okay they must have gone across at latona bridge which is now the university bridge uh, because whatever was going on over at the at Montlake, but a friend of mine, uh, Joe, he said, "You sure? Like, I'm pretty sure there was a bridge there." And that just uh, trying to figure out if there was a bridge there on, in September 1910 actually became really, really difficult. And the, the the punchline for me is that yes, there was a bridge there. It was a pedestrian bridge because the Montlake Cut had been started already. And um there was no way to get across by car or by I mean there was there were some automobiles but mm-hmm. it would have been you know a wagon or anywhere else a bicycle you could have taken the pedestrian bridge I guess but it would have been really difficult to get across unless you were walking
0: okay so they hiked from Ballard over toward the university like where the stadium is now and but they had to cross the cut somehow to get to the mar get to the Arboretum
2: get to the arboretum, yeah okay, and okay. and you can't imagine the way you would walk it because there was rail lines where we have uh you know the bike ped paths now right so they're walking on city streets and then and then cutting across them on like yeah
0: that's pretty cool um and then in terms of how the rest of that plays out because um i my one of my favorite crossings for that area is a little bit farther west of there is the old um the 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 trestle that went across the stone way right yeah yeah and that was that was considered temporary but it was there for quite a while and Mm -hmm. it it seemed like it had some really big um like a trolley or a streetcar sort of depot on one end of it, almost like a big kind of a multimodal transportation hub kind of thing with mm. a, where you could get off the, the, you get off the streetcar and catch a bus or some, there was some way to kind of connect people there. Um, but that whole route along there where, where the train tracks used to be, where there was that additional railroad bridge, the Northern Pacific Bridge that went away, I think, maybe 50 years ago, that area has changed so much. It's hard to imagine what it looked like. I mean, in terms of the way it looks now, what year would you say it kind of achieved the kind of the look and feel that it has for in 2023? I mean, when, when was it kind of pretty well set how it was going to be?
2: Oh, that wouldn't have been until, you know, 1915 or something like that. You know, 1916 is when the Mott Lake Cut opened. Yeah. Um, and if you look at photos from 1909, when the Alaska-Yukon Pacific Exposition was going on, um, they put a new road in in 1909. So that's the closest. That's like, it's not even anything similar to today, until 1909, when they bring uh, the, the, the road down 24th and 23rd, and they create Mott Lake Boulevard, and create a, a temporary bridge across uh, the water. There was a, a, a they called it the Mott Lake Ditch at the time. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a cut yet. It was a tiny um, log flume <laughs> and a little bit further south. And then that went to, basically to the uh, the south end of the of the uh, university campus. Okay. Uh, at the time, it was the exposition, Right. So before that it was just, you know, trees and grass and a wagon trail. I mean that it was a wagon trail with a little wood bridge. Uh it was all the all that they had going across that.
0: And in terms of doing this research, like with us with this say this Boy Scout hike in particular, do you have like a certain place you always go back to or like what, what resources were required for you to kind of come up with that solution and get the information all put together to be able to coherently describe it?
2: Oh, where did I start? Um there's a lot of great resources out there. And one thing like history, like for example, was a great starting point for me and um, reading what great historians like Jennifer Ott and David Williams had already written. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then going from there and finding like the, the spots that, um, that didn't quite make sense to me or the, the gaps that were still left maybe in the story that the full story I I could see, you know, of like all, all of the dozen or so different ways to cross um, Mott Lake over the years, the different, Cuts and train tracks and wagon roads and pedestrian bridges and pontoon bridges and all these different things they had. Um, so starting there, but then uh, there's, there's some great resources like uh, the um, the Seattle Public Utilities Map Vault uh, recently started putting their stuff all online. And ah. it's, it's not completely open to the public. You have to apply for an account. Huh. Once you get that you can look through all of these old records of um of streets and um and uh like the bridges. Like they had the original plans for this pedestrian bridge that was put in. Like oh, not only cool. do we have photographic evidence that it was there at one point, here's the engineering plan. You know, oh wow, okay. This is the the the, the blueprints for it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And there's yeah, there's just a bunch of good stuff, but it, it takes a bunch of digging. And for me, keeping it straight got to be a little bit maddening because I kept there was there were all these different ways of getting through (laughs) Montlake and um, each one I was trying to really nail down exactly when it was and where it was
0: and did you spend much time just out in the field on your feet kind of looking around on the ground
2: no I didn't bother with that there's just nothing left at all (laughs) no like five when 520 came in you, know, you said like when was it all gone away? So nineteen like nineteen oh eight would have been the last time it was kind of wild and just a wagon road. Okay, but through nineteen sixty two, when uh, five twenty was started, um, you could still see a lot of the original features. So these these um, things that had been used since like the eighteen uh, you know the the eighteen eighties, there was remnants of them still around.
0: Oh, so as recently as before they began construction on five twenty, there was what what like what something would have still been visible.
2: Uh, there was this. This chunk of land where the canal had been with, for this log flume, and there was another piece of land where the um, where the, um, the coal, there was this coal train that took cars across. the oh, yeah, this is this little band of of it's um, a portage, right? The so little the, band the of ism- the right? Isthmus of Montlake. Isthmus, yeah, is what, <laughs> that's what Paul Paul call it, <laughs> the Isthmus, right? So yeah, the, the the spot where that used to be still remained. Um, until 1962,
0: yeah. So you could see like where the tracks had been for that little narrow gauge coal railroad.
2: Yeah, you could see it, it would have been like a, a flat cut um, in the in the ground, right? Got like, it. It, okay, you know, you, you wouldn't see here's some actual tracks, but like here's a flat yeah. spot where everything else is hilly around it, you
0: know. And that would have been um, south of the Motley Cut, right? Then kind of through the parking lot of the old Mohai, kind
2: of. Um, actually, in 520.
0: Oh, actually, right where 520
2: is. Okay, got it. Both of them were wow. covered by different parts of 520.
0: That's crazy. Okay. Now, if people want to read the stuff you're writing and see the images and maps and things you're finding, what's the best place people can go online to see the work of Rob Ketcherside?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, you could search my name if you could figure out how to spell it. There's not <laughs> many of us out there. Um, or the website I've got, takes a second to describe it, but it's called background.com. But the C in background is a hyphen. So if you do ba-kground.com, you'll find my my all the stuff I've read.
0: Got it. Okay. And then what are you working on? now? What's the next thing you're going to be working on, or is it a surprise, or what's this next secret project oh, ahead for you?
2: you know, there's always a few different things I'm planning on doing, but the, the one I'm really looking forward to doing is I want to take those hikes. I want to go. There's two hikes that I want to do. The first one, actually, I'm going to do is the second-ever Boy Scout hike, and that went from what used to be called Collins Field. Now it's Wisteria Park next to, next to Seattle Buddhist Church. Okay, And it goes all the way to Fauntleroy. So it's a 10-mile hike. And I'm planning to do that in maybe June with my son to reenact that. And then, uh, and then I want to do that Ballard hike, too. And, I, and you know, the, the goal will be to take some photographs and, and uh, document it.
0: All right. Now, do you ever give talks or lead public tours or stuff like that where people could come along?
2: Yeah, I don't have anything planned right now. Um, but I've done I've done like a street clock tour in the past. Oh, I've cool. done talks for the library or at um, at Elliot Bay Books. Very cool. If anything coming up, um, the thing to watch for for me would be with the Capitol Hill Historical Society, where um, uh, I'm one of the board members and. I'd expect to have something with the society coming up sometime later this
0: year. Okay, terrific. Well, you're definitely welcome back anytime. You have something you want to talk about on Cascade of History, we'd love to have you back because you're doing you're you're the perfect sort of person. I wish there was a Rob Ketcher side for every neighborhood, for every town in the you know Washington, Oregon, Idaho, British Columbia, because that would that, then I wouldn't have to work as hard to find guests. Um, <laughs> right. But I just I love I like I like what people like you do where you just care about something enough to do it. And you do it well, and you're not just out there saying wacky things and making stuff up. That's, that's, that, that makes <laughs> you credible. Being credible and into history is good. I like that. I, I want to support your work. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, Rob, thanks for joining us on Cascade of History, and have a good rest of your Sunday evening.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, Felix. Right. Good night.
0: Bye. That's Rob Ketcherside. He described his website. It's background, B-A hyphen, and there's no C, and then the rest of the word background. Dot, I don't know. I can't remember what the dot part was, but I'll put a link to that on the Cascade of History Facebook page. Which, is, if you haven't liked yet, you should. Um, coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk to a representative with a group who's working to save the trees outside of Pike Place Market. But before we do that, we have a little uh, audio feature. This dates back to 1938. This is the first installment. It was I think it was a half hour long program. We're going to break it up and milk it for maximum uh, maximum uh, use here. We'll play a little bit of it now, maybe a little bit later on in the show. This is a couple minutes from a show called um, Washington at Work. It's a live program uh, originally broadcast in 1938 on KOMO. And it's all about the new, the new then in 1938 JCPenney store that was opening in downtown Seattle. So uh, while we listen to this, I'm going to get in touch with our representative from the group trying to save the trees at Pike Place Market. So it's Felix Bunnell on Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM.
3: Washington at Work, the fifteenth in the series of the Pageant of Northwest Industry. Today, a survey of department store retail selling from a novel vantage point. And here is Roland Bradley to comment by electrical transcription through remote control from his microphone station at Second and Pike. Today, Washington at Work has a unique opportunity. We're about to examine department store operations from the largest new edition to the downtown retail business of Seattle in many years. Now, it's unique not only because we'll have an opportunity to survey the operations that go on behind the scenes in this great new store, but because our broadcasts are taking place before the doors of this modern, streamlined store are open to the public. Now, here, a thousand and one last-minute touches are being added to the extreme modernity of the store as a whole, and it would seem that literally hundreds of employees are swarming about and rooting the complicated traffic that's taking place. While we are today viewing the operations of the new J.C. Penney Company store from this new and modern Seattle edition at Second pipe, the program really represents Washington at work throughout the state. Now, this company began operations in Washington in Walla Walla in 1911, and it's grown until it now carries 1,726 Washingtonians on its payroll, with purchases of Washington products amounting to $600,000 annually, and a yearly overhead expense of salaries and general store operation expense of nearly two and a half million dollars. I'll say the J.C. Penney Company is a vital cog in this broad meshing mechanism of Washington at work. Governor Martin more than ably summarizes the importance of the retail industry in this telegram, I hold and which I'm now going to read. Quote, A prosperous retail business is essential to this state's welfare glad to note that the penny company has evinced confidence in Seattle and the state of Washington by extending its operations in Seattle. Congratulations to Washington at work on its contribution in bringing about a better understanding of the meaning of business to the welfare of the people. Keep up the good work. Signed, Governor Clarence D. Merck. Now, within a few hours, tomorrow morning to be exact, this modern streamlined store will be the scene of buying activity. At this moment, however, we're standing on the fifth floor where a small army of employees are making ready the stock in preparation for tomorrow's opening. Incidentally, the operations we're about to survey are characteristic of the operations that take place every day in the large department store.
0: Uh, we're back on Cascade of History. Uh, stay, stay tuned for the next exciting installment of Washington at Work. It's a, uh, it's a it's a lot going on down there at the new J.C. Penney back in 1938. Oh, I see someone is on the phone. Stand by one moment here. Let's see. Let's see who is joining us now. Hi, can you hear me?
4: I can. Can you hear me? Do I sound okay? Yeah, you sound great. Is this Laura? This is Laura. Sorry.
0: Oh, that's okay. No, I, I, was, I, I had another <laughs> guest I was trying to fit in, and they ended up not being able to call me in time, so I reached out to you a little bit early. And so you're on the oh, air. Okay. You're on the air on Cascade of History. So, <laughs> oh, excellent. We, we don't waste Hello. any time here. We get right to the content on the show. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's a shoestring operation here. It's just me. I don't even have a producer. It's, I I do everything here. It's kind of fun. Um, anyway, so this is Laura Cray with the Oregon Historical Society. Yes. Yeah, and you're thank the, you
4: for having me
0: on. Yeah, I appreciate you making time on a Sunday night. Now you're the you're a digital librarian. Yes.
4: So, I uh, work on curating the collection that we put on our digital collections website for the library collections at Oregon Historical Society.
0: You guys do so much cool stuff down there. I always love the website, I love the Oregon Encyclopedia. Um, I've done a lot of, when I used to edit the magazine for the Washington State Historical Society, I used to work with mm-hmm. Amy, Amy Platt quite a bit on. Um, yes. She was always a great resource for photos and information about. You know, because so much of Washington and Oregon history is kind of intermingled because the, you know, before the territory split off separately back in what 1853 (laughs) or whatever, we were sort of kind of Mm -hmm. one big unit there and everything. Um, Yeah. But but you guys, I mean, I think the Oregon Historical Society, you guys seem to do a really good job of covering the whole state in a way that here in Washington, because we're split by the mountains, we have sort of... Mm-hmm. the West, you know, the Washington State Historical Society down in Tacoma really covers the West pretty well. And then there's the Eastern Washington mm-hmm. Historical Society over in Spokane. But you guys seem to do a pretty good job of covering the entire state, and especially during the pandemic. Yeah. It seems like the programs you guys were doing were really getting all over, all over the state of Oregon, which is really cool.
4: No, we, we try and make that a priority. And um, our digital presence really helps with connecting with all of the residents of Oregon and the broader pacific northwest in general
5: absolutely and
4: um you know kind of going back to what you were saying about the the territory and oregon and washington having a lot of connection you can really see that in that maps collection that we recently put on our website where the the collection goes from like 16th 17th century european exploration maps trying to get a sense of the west coast of North America and the uh, Northwest Passage all the way up through um, 20th century maps of things like the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, you can really see how the region is interconnected. And our collections obviously focus on Oregon, but we also have quite a bit for Washington, Idaho, British Columbia, Alaska as well.
0: And is there a really easy web address to get to that um, particular map database? I'll put, a, I'll, I'll put a link on the Cascade of History Facebook page, and I'll send it out by uh, Twitter as well. But is there, a, is there an easy way to find that just if someone's sitting in front of their computer right now and wants to type into their browser?
4: Absolutely. Um, the easiest way to start is to go to digitalcollections.ohs.org, and then you can search for maps, and that will bring up the maps in our collection.
0: That's great. Now I, I, you know, I think a lot of people really love maps. I know I've always loved maps. I remember from being a little kid from like going into the back in the old days when service stations had big racks of free maps, you could go in and get like, you know, one from all the different Western states. Mm-hmm. And I worked at a map store here in Seattle when I was in high school and college. I kind of organized a little um, topographic map department and we carried every single map of quadrangle for the whole state, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I always loved that sort of stuff. Um, have you? Did you come to maps like early in life, or how is this something? Tell me about your tell me your <laughs> oh, personal history of maps. I mean,
4: I I have always loved maps. It is not necessarily the thing that I specifically specialized in, but I really love the way that they can visually represent a completely completely different perspectives or information about the same location. So you can have twenty maps that cover exactly the same location and tell you entirely different things. And I, I feel like that is just one of the powers of maps that um, that I, I think can help people think about or ask questions about um, a location yeah. that they might not have thought about otherwise
0: and And there's something so human about trying to represent some geographic area, whether it's a square mile or several thousand square miles on a piece of paper yeah. and have it sort of whether it's a you know a um proclamation of some kind of sovereignty or some sort of you know mm-hmm. subtle effort to to show ownership of some area that previously wasn't claimed by anybody that and in fact those those can also be kind of beautiful sometimes too. even the ones that aren't they don't have oh, I mean, like yeah. the pictures of dragons or sea monsters or whatever, but just <laughs> just the actual you know cartography of. Whether it's topographic mm-hmm. lines or just the outline of a particular shape of a piece of land, there's something about that that, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, does a, did a place like Oregon Historical Society, were they collecting maps as early as like when they were first in business in the 1890s or is this, did they come to Absolutely. it later? They were, they were, okay.
4: Absolutely. We have um, easily over 125 years of active map collecting and there are thousands of maps in our collection. So, we have a, um, 130, 140 maps online. That number is growing slowly over time as we get more of them digitized. Mm-hmm. But we have thousands that are available for researchers to come in and interact with in our research library as well.
0: Now, I have one favorite map, I think, that in terms of the Northwest, I mean, there's there's <laughs> dozens. But the one I always keep returning to is the one from the Wilkes Expedition from 1841. Yes, that sort of shows everything of the Northwest, and it's it looks pretty accurate. I mean, I know they were just mm-hmm. they were just going around in ships and rowboats and using you know sextants and compasses and chains and stuff, but mm-hmm. they seem to do a pretty amazing job of accurately depicting what the region looked like 100 and yes. terrible math 182 years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah,
4: um, <laughs> we'll say that's close enough to accurate. <laughs> okay,
0: now is there, a, is there you know, in the digital maps that are online now? Is there one that is emerges the one that people look at the most? Is there sort of a is there a,
4: um. I don't know about that. That would have been a good stat to try and pull. I, <laughs> <laughs> I did not pull that. That's I can okay. tell you my my personal favorite map. Even um, better, even for, more interesting. Yeah, yeah. For for this, so there's this this map that was it's a hand drawn map. It's kind of the opposite end of the accuracy scale <laughs> that was done in 1852 by Marshall B. Burke, who was the first postmaster for the post office in South Yam Hill. <laughs> and it's of the Willamette Valley and kind of the mail routes that he was responsible for. And I love this map because it has all of these notes about, like, things to look out for on the route and the best places to cross the river. And it it it's one of those maps that you could go your entire life and not think about what it was like to get mail in the Oregon Territory in the 1850s. <laughs> and then you see a map like that and all of these questions and, like, thoughts about what that experience must have been, like, kind of come to the forefront.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like, how frequently were they getting the mail delivered? Like, was it someone like, (laughs) is it the same time every day? Did the the dogs Uh, bark at the guy delivering the mail the same way it happens (laughs) nowadays?
4: Um, I'm guessing not, but I I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So are you guys gradually, like, digitizing more of these in the hopes to have eventually, like, some point in the distant future, as much of them as possible
4: online? Um yes, I mean, I would say we have nearly 38,000 unique items in our digital collections website. Wow. Currently, and we add more every day, that 38,000 items is probably still not even close to 1% of our entire library collections. Hmm. You know, and this includes everything from oral histories, our photography hmm. collections, manuscripts like letters and journals, moving image footage, and then like those maps and architectural plans that we're talking about today. So we generally every Monday new content is going online um, and we are gearing up to do a new round of maps later this um, this year. But we like to cycle through the formats and the geographical representation and eras that are represented in our projects.
0: Yeah, I see the the stuff that you have now online and i pair that with uh, you know the national ocean survey charts that are available for mm-hmm. all us waters the usgs topographic maps that are available for much of the continental united states yep. now it makes it it's so easy now compared even like i don't know 5 years ago 10 years ago uh, yeah, absolutely to, to zero in on one particular place if you're curious about uh you know when a bridge was built or when some geographic aspect changed you know you can you can with a, with a few mm-hmm. – download a few particular maps, you can really figure out so much more than when you had to go you know in person and roll stuff out. Now, are you guys all pretty much post-pandemic back to kind of normal staffing and normal business hours and everything there in
4: Portland? Uh, yes, we are now – we are open for walk-in re- reference. We still recommend people email in advance. It just gives us a chance to pull – the materials that you would uh, like to see during your visit, a lot of our collections are stored off-site. Yeah. So the advanced warning is more likely that you will have success on your visit. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are open for walk-in. The museum is open and has some great exhibits on display right now, including one that is about the history of OHS for our 125th anniversary that is all about how historical societies have viewed history and interpreted the history of our state over time.
0: That sounds great. Now, one question I always like to ask people from Oregon or who work in history in Oregon, um, you know, the state of Oregon is, was created in 1859, right? And then state of mm-hmm. Washington worst, doesn't get created until 1889. So there's 30 years there where Oregon has, you know, senators and people in the House of Representatives and, you know, you're voting for the president. And you know, here in Washington Territory, the 30 years where we're sort of— um, like a stepchild, right? We're not, we're not getting the same kind mm-hmm. of federal attention, not getting the same kind of political attention, not participating in national politics at all. Do you have, I have lots of crackpot theories about that, but do you have any <laughs> theories about how that has made, what that made in terms of how Oregon developed differently than Washington in terms of the character now of the different states or the, you know, Portland versus the Puget Sound area or anything in your experience that, that, that comes to mind when I think about that as a crackpot theory?
4: You know, that is not a theory that I have thought enough about to want to say something (laughs) live on the radio about. Um, I guess I'd always thought more, that's a a really good point, I've always thought more geographically in terms of the Puget Sound and its kind of connection to British Columbia and on up into that area and the way that the sound itself versus Portland being so far in the Columbia shaped the two cities, but... That is an excellent question, and now I'm definitely going to have to start thinking about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, and
0: that whole like river city, Portland is a river city versus Seattle yes. is more of a you know a, a port city. It's just it's it's yes. it's fascinating, and I don't it doesn't feel like that old stuff gets talked about as much as it did even like 20 or 30 years ago when people mm-hmm. talk about the origins of you know the settlers of Portland versus the settlers of Seattle. It seems mm-hmm. like we're sort of that it's still it's still not that long ago. 150 years ago, 170 no. years ago, really is not that long ago at all. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's great that you guys are doing that work and posting those things online and that you're open for business and everything. Um, Let's see. um, So tell me the web address one more time so people want to go look at those maps that are now online at the Oregon Historical Society.
4: Yes. uh, The web address is digitalcollections.ohs.org, and once you get to that site, the easiest way is to just search for maps or the OHS maps collection, and that should bring it right up. Right on. Or any other thing you're interested in researching.
0: Terrific. Well, Laura Cray, hoping to have you again on the show sometime and find out more about stuff you guys are doing there, digitally there with the Oregon Historical Society. Thanks for taking time on your Sunday night to be a guest on Cascade of History.
4: Excellent. My pleasure. Have a great night.
0: You too. So long. That is Laura Cray of the Oregon Historical Society joining us here on Cascade of History. Well, uh, let's see. You know, we, we heard our exciting first episode, first installment, I guess, of the uh, Washington at Work program and their exciting visit down to the uh, JCPenney store as it was getting ready to be opened back in 1938. Let's, uh, let's jump in and hear the second episode of Washington at Work, or second installment. I got to get my language correctly here. Let's go back to uh, 1938, downtown Seattle, Washington at Work, as broadcast live over KOMO. You're listening to Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM and streaming live at space101fm.org.
3: This is the stockroom, the very fountainhead of a flow of merchandise that appears on the counters throughout the store. Now, as a guide today, we're going to have the uh, help and cooperation of a very personable young man by the name of Bob Lanson of the sales department. Bob, you don't mind if we start off by asking you a few questions? Not know? at all. Well, we can see these thousands and thousands of items here. There's so many of them, in fact, that uh, to go into a categorization or whatever you'd like to say of them would be a little bit difficult. I'm wondering if we could pick out just one item from each floor of the store as we proceed, follow it right straight through its regular procedure. I think that would be a very good idea. Well, what would we pick out, for example, from the fourth floor? Uh, Perhaps the boys' baseball suit. Boys' baseball suit. Is this the the boys' baseball suit right here by the marking machine? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what will we pick out that we'd like to encounter later on the third floor? Uh, perhaps a sheet. A sheet? Fine. And on the second floor? A woman's hat. A woman's hat. Um, the first floor, main floor? A uh, woman's glove. And uh, also on the main floor, we're going to go into that uh, men's department. That's we? right. A man's shirt, perhaps. man's shirt. Fine. And in the basement floor? And a woman's wash dress. All right. Fine. Now, all of the items that Bob just mentioned to you are on a shelf. Here by a very personable young woman, whose name is what? Miss Ellen Mance. And what are you doing to these various items that we just described?
4: Putting a pin ticket on the garment.
3: You're putting a pin ticket on the garment. That helps to keep all of the garments separate and the traffic straight, doesn't it? Yes, sir. Well, thank you very, very much, Miss Mance. Now, Bob, uh, who is in charge of the multiplicity of detail on this floor? <coughs> Mr. Ed Davis, right here. Mr. Ed Davis, all right. Mr. Davis, we're going to ask you how many about how many pieces of merchandise you have. About about four thousand. Uh, four thousand. Seems to me that there are many more than four thousand items right here. Uh, Individual pieces would be around four or five million. Ah, that's more like it. Well, in order to uh, make things pretty clear for us, we've uh, selected one item uh, from this vast stock, which is in your charge here one item that we're going to find as it emerges on the floors which uh, we examine below us. Now will you tell me exactly how is this hat going to get down on the third floor or the second floor or whatever it is, and exactly how is this baseball suit going to get where it's going? How do you route it? As soon as it's marked it's shot down on the elevators to the individual departments there it's put on the table to be sold. I see, fine. Well thank you very much Ed Davis and Bob. Uh, someone has to buy these things. Someone has to be responsible for saying that they come to Ed's uh, department. Now, who is responsible for that?
0: Okay, well, that's going to be a cliffhanger about who's responsible for selling that baseball when they come to Ed's department there at the old 1938 J.C. Penny. As originally heard live on KOMO on Washington at Work back in 1938. Uh, I'm Felix spinell It's Cascade of History. We are jumping up and down all around the Pacific Northwest talking to different people doing cool stuff with and for Pacific Northwest history. Um, I will post those links um, uh, to Rob Ketcherside's blog and to um, the Oregon Historical Society's collection, uh, digital collection of maps that Laura Cray just told us about. It'll be on the Cascade of History Facebook page. Um, do, do like that page if you get a chance. And then um, Space, Space 101.1 FM also has a great web- website at space101fm.org. If you're listening to the live stream there, you already know that, of course, but there's a program schedule there. Uh, and there's information about how you can contribute to keep the lights on, uh, maybe get the heat repaired. No, the heat that's 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 not our problem. There. That's going to get fixed, but um, the uh, it'll be nice and cozy here again, I'm sure, before too long. I'm already feeling cozier just talking about Pacific Northwest history, honestly. Um, anyway, it's a great website. It's a great radio station. All kinds of people doing all kinds of really cool music and other programs all throughout the week. Um, you know, broadcast live here in the Seattle area, or over in Kirkland across the lake from you know right here at uh, Sandpoint, the old uh, Sandpoint Naval Air Station at Magnuson Park, and then streaming anywhere too. And then this show is a podcast too because it's not as much fun as a podcast because it's not live. I like live radio where you know the person who's talking, like me right now, is actually shivering in a studio and talking to you, experiencing the same weather, at the same time, the same daylight. Anyway, I, I enough about that. I say that too much. Anyway, uh, so joining us now, I'm going to bring on our next guest. Let's see. Uh, can you hear me, Pastor Steele? I can hear you. Ah, Terrific. Thank you so much for joining us on Cascade of History. Um, you are with Allen AME Church in Tacoma?
6: I am, yes.
0: Well, now, tell me about what now, where is, what part of Tacoma is that, and, and tell me about the history of that church.
6: Actually, you know, we are in the uh, hilltop area of of Tacoma, and uh Allen AMU Church is actually uh historically the oldest African American church uh in the city of Tacoma it, it is uh now 134 years old and wow and um, uh we've been pretty much in the same area uh for uh that time
0: That's terrific. That's 134 years. That's great. Now uh, one of your uh, members of your congregation reached out to me. I think it was back in January, and we traded emails back and forth. And I wasn't able to take part in this event that you guys put together, that I think culminated in in some kind of a, a visit last week. To is it Centralia?
6: Yes. Oh my so God! T-
5: tell
0: yes. me about that project.
6: <laughs> well, I mean, it just it it was uh, something that uh, actually had begun maybe about six months ago. We I just happened up on some news magazine show and um and uh they start talking about Centralia, Washington and the fact that it was actually uh founded uh by an African American man. And um many of us that had already you know, had gone to Centralia many times could not believe it, you know. So I, I said, Nah, let me let me chase that down a little bit more. And um, actually, I went to uh, Centralia, my wife and I. We went there. We traveled there. Um, and uh, lo and behold, it was there. It was at, it's actually there. There's In the middle of the town, they have a, a park dedicated uh, to this black man, man named uh, George Washington. And I couldn't believe it. And, I mean, there's a life-size uh, statue Man, of he and his wife, even his dog, I, I was, <laughs> we were just man. We were blown over, and I and I said right then, I said, I have to show my church this. I have to. We're, we're, we're history buffs, and we're so so much, you know, uh, embedded into the history of not only Tacoma but of Washington at, at Allen Amy Church. And so um, we start putting the wheels in motion, literally, and uh, charging the. Uh, bus and bands and we had so many uh folks uh going with us even from other churches and um for our black history month uh uh, uh trip this year um we went to centralia and most of the congregants said centralia black history <laughs> you know But <laughs> but 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 uh uh and you know many of them had been here for many years uh they have lived here for 50 50 70 years and they never knew of this history so it was absolutely exciting so
0: how many people all told went down on the trip
6: nearly 100 people uh, oh, wow. went. uh we, we were we were kind of glad a lot of people drove their cars because i i, I gotta tell you we we didn't know what to expect i didn't know if you know how many people would go we do you know how many people would feel uh uh excited about going to centralia or you know or, <laughs> and um uh but by that morning i mean i mean the bus filled up the cars filled up people were calling saying hey we'll meet you down there we had the church van and you know so that's 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 how it, that's how it went down
0: and so what did you do once you got down there
6: when we got down there, um, well, uh, I should tell you, uh, maybe about two weeks prior to us getting there, I just reached out to the mayor of Centralia, Washington, uh, uh, Kelly uh, Smith-Johnson. And, man, I couldn't believe she, she reached back out to me. I said, listen, we want to come down there, and uh, we're just trying to find out some information. And and uh, she just said, look, she got excited, and we got Kept going back and forth. She says, "I'm going to be there to greet you guys when you get here. I'm going to set up you know, all the folks and and our historians and everything." And I said, "I said, really?" She says, "Yep." And so they were excited, and the uh, the mayor of Centralia was standing on the corner waving us down. Here I am, and um, <laughs> and uh, uh, we um, uh, got off the bus and we went to. Uh, they had prepared a, a another historic building. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name, but they we went into that building, and um, she had uh, other historians on George Washington there, and a young lady named Heather. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! This this woman is a treasure trove of of information, and uh, we sat down in this basically in this auditorium, and uh, uh, we were there with. Uh, city managers and uh, you know leadership of Centralia. I mean, this white town. Let me say it this way: this white town celebrating this black man, and 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 then here we come with a busload of folks, and just together, that the space was so electric because it showed that that history was not just black history it was everybody and it was just absolutely awesome
0: that's really cool and so did you say this you guys do some kind of event or some kind of trip or something every year for black history month
6: every year we we either do a trip or we do an event um uh, prior to the pandemic of course we um we did a um we couldn't uh really travel everyone to tulsa but we brought a lot of uh, the like Black Wall Street was our, our theme in 2019, um, oh, wow. and um, and so every year we we do something, and it's not just for our church; it's for the community. Um, and we do some excellent uh, research to uh, bring that information of of history, not only that has occurred, but the the history that that's actually. Uh, bring, being produced even now, and that we're living in, and how it will affect us today, and how we can learn and grow from it today. Um, so, you know, we, we are we are that church that continues to promote the fact that uh, Black history is not just Black history; it's it's American history. It's a it's just a, just a part of the fabric. And um, man, we. Uh, th- but I will tell anyone. I'll tell all of your listeners. You have to go to Centralia. You have to go there, and um, it's George Washington Park. It's a huge park. We also went to his gravesite, um, where his uh, he and his wife are, are buried. I mean, they have it all um, uh, actually put together. Where it's it's you know it's it's cordoned off in the uh, in even in the cemetery. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I, I, it, words can't really. I mean, my, my church is still buzzing about it. They're still talking about it. I mean, even today, I mean, everyone is still on a high from being in that space. And to know that uh, Centralia, Washington is the largest uh, black city founded, uh, I mean, largest city founded by a black man in America.
0: Wow.
6: And, and, and it's right here in the state of Washington.
0: That sounds like a really cool trip i'm really i'm feel even more sad that I wasn't able to go now is it is it common for a church to have sort of a history focus like this, or are you guys kind of unusual in that regard
6: well well we are we are somewhat unusual in the sense of of uh, in practice um mostly but um the AME church of course is you know historical as it relates to the uh history of america it's the oldest um uh Actually, institution or uh, as they would say, denomination, uh, founded on American soil back in 1787. Huh. Um, it is, um, you know, before that, all other churches, not not just black, but all of the churches, um, came from uh, England. Um, so it was it was there, and um, its original church, uh, Mother Bethel, is still there. It's a, on the National Landmarks, of course, is still in Philadelphia and um uh i mean it's just so the history is there and so it's it's kind of ingrained in us and so uh, we'd love to uh, take that uh, to a space where you know history helps us uh, in the present day and history helps us uh, to uh you know to be better people and to be you know just you know just, just stronger uh getting to know each other uh, and then you got to know uh alan amy in this present day is not all African-American. I mean, there's all races in there huh. and um, we're just, but I mean, this just so happens that, um, uh, that, that is a part of our history, but man, uh, we had a great time.
0: Sounds like you definitely did. Did, did was there any, like did anyone shoot video or record audio? Is there any way to sort of experience parts of the tour now? Or, or was it sort of just, if you didn't weren't there, you missed it kind of thing.
6: No, we, we have some, some video and some, uh we have some uh photos of course um, uh we sent uh well, in fact we we have them up on our um uh, on our facebook page uh alan uh, a m e tacoma and then um we also have it uh on our uh website alanchurch dot org um, and, and um in fact uh Felix, I gotta let you know we just uh some of my staff just sent you uh, a few uh, pictures
0: as well. Terrific. Uh, so, okay. So. I'll, I'll definitely but, add but, that. I'll put that link on the Cascade of History Facebook page. Awesome. Um, one thing that's, it's, I struggle with, you know, Black History Month being just in February. And I feel like, you know, it, it's 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 good that there's Black History Month, but I want there to be history of all kinds all year round. Mm-hmm. Um, it also seems like in the time since George Floyd was murdered, there's a greater receptivity to this sort of we're all Americans. There's histories everyone's history is everyone's history. Which I think is a good thing. It's it there's I mean who knows how things will ultimately shake out. But right. it feels like there's a new openness to appreciating and understanding, you know, the history of the of, of Centralia, for instance, or the the current history or current story of a church like Allen AME. Is that is that just me from a am I too Pollyanna ish? Is it is there has there been a shift and no, a change?
6: No. I mean you you you're No, you're you're absolutely correct. You know, when you think about, um, let's say, for instance, like like, uh, Allen AME Church. Allen AME Church actually houses a memorial wall that was done by the Tacoma Museum of Glass. It's the only place in any church that there's actual display that was put together by the Museum of Glass. Um, But that Museum of Glass exhibit that's there is uh, dedicated to the Mother Emanuel uh, AME uh, tragedy of
1: 2015,
6: and that's back in uh, South Carolina.
5: Yeah.
6: But when you go in and when you walk into um, Allen AME Church, you begin to see that um, not only do we uh, look into history, we also try to put it forward so that in a and display it in a uh, you know a classy way so that people can actually see um, that there is much for us to uh, use it to to talk and I think I think you're absolutely right you know especially since George Floyd the rest of the country is seemingly ready to start to talk but I mean uh, but long before George Floyd got here of course you know we had. You know, we've we've we we've housed uh, and hosted the um uh, the the survivors of of the tragedy in in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Wow. Um, and they help us to they helped us to unveil that 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 wall. So I mean, uh, at Allen Amy Church, um, you, you when you walk in, you'll see, and and there's even kiosk and sleigh and and so uh, because it's a, a connected church, um, the Ame Church then. You know, you have uh, so much to, you know, really uh, to learn from it and to learn uh, some of that that history that's there. I mean, and like I said, this is stuff that's right here in the state of Washington. You don't have to go back east or down south to find it. Um, there's a lot that you can learn right here.
0: Yeah. And I love that you guys are doing It's like it's not just a, a website or a book or a talk. It's like you guys are getting in the van and driving down to Centralia oh, and doing man. this sort of history in person's muscular approach to history. I like that. I like that sort of making, making, putting history to work. I love that. Oh, I think yeah. that's awesome.
6: Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it, it's that, it, it's exciting to know that, you know, and that the, the folks, uh, my wife will tell you that I'm always, you know, just all nervous. I said, oh, man, the night before. You know, I'm like, is anybody going to come? Does anybody <laughs> really want to do? She's like, she laughs at me all the time because she's like, every time you do something, everyone just, I mean, everyone just packs the house because, you know, this is, uh, you know, and we said, uh, you know, I told the folks when we took off, I said, we're packed on this bus. I said, but this is just the first trip to uh, Centralia. I said, I, I hope that this becomes a catalyst for other churches and other of uh, non nonprofits another group to do the same thing just i mean it's not that we just want to be you know the only ones that are out there but um but to have all of us do it um and and just to be it's just the starting point, just the hope that you know we get other people to do it and I think that it's important that that not only on this but to be influential to others to whatever space that you occupy to be a leader. Do just, just do it, and 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 um, you know, uh, I think uh, that what what has happened in our country, not just with George Floyd, uh, not just with uh, you know all of the others on the whole list from Eric Garner and everywhere else. Yeah, it, it is it is important that we not let it just be a part of some twenty four hour news cycle and then move on. Oh yep. no, yeah. But we have to make it a part of our everyday life to, to grow from it. if you don't grow from it, then it's just a bunch of bad news lined up and waiting for the next thing to happen. Yep. Um, so yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to know, uh, you know, uh, folks like you who just continue to, you know, put forward uh, that information to the public. If you don't do it, then, then where will it come from?
0: Right on. All right, got to let you go there because we're just, just about out of time here on Cascade of History, but Pastor Anthony Steele of the Allen AME Church in Tacoma, thank you for joining us and have a good rest of your night, okay? Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Good night. All right, and that's going to wrap it up for me here at Space 101.1 FM, LM KMGP Magnuson Park. Um, join us every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Pacific time for another live broadcast of Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM.
1: That sound means the steamer Columbia has reached the end of another thrilling voyage around the Pacific Northwest. Be careful as you go ashore. Watch it, watch it. That's a slippery spot there. I'll bet that hurt. When that whistle blows once again, be sure to meet us at the landing and be ready to climb aboard a little more carefully next time for Cascade of History. Cascade of History is produced in Seattle by Felix Bonell.